Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'll keep with the same theme. When I get up early in the morning, there is more sunshine uh, <laughs> very early in the morning, and I love that. I've never been a morning person. I've never cared about how early the sun came up. But now, as an old man, that has become very important to me and very encouraging to me. So I'm very excited. Spring is springing upon us. Now, we've got, uh, we, we are not far away from the spring forward of the clock, which is the night when during which we lose an hour of sleep. So I always kind of, kind of cringe when that comes, but I'm so excited that, uh, we continue to step into warmer weather. So how are you? I'm great. I'm great. So today we're recording on the biblical day of Purim. That is the day that celebrates the story of Esther. So last night, uh, my wife and I and our little boy read the story of Esther. We were doing all the voices for all the different characters. And uh, we were enjoying the great irony of Haman, who is trying to destroy the Jewish people and trying to hang his greatest enemy, being hanged on his own gallows. Being hanged on his his own gallows. Yeah, 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 it's just unbelievable. So um, we're recording for such a time as this. Amen. (laughs) Ha, (laughs) ha, (laughs) ha. So, speaking of such a time as this, can you tell us about the Jesus Is sermon series that we're going into? I, I have to tell you, I'm really excited about it. Um, you know, the way that I kind of approach preaching is I spend a lot of time in prayer and just say, Lord, where are you leading us? And year after year, as we lead up to Easter, uh, I always like to go back to the Gospels and always like to really spend some time just looking at Jesus's ministry. And so as I was reading through the Gospels, and frankly, I'm getting ready to to be the spiritual guide on a trip to the Holy Land here yeah. in just a, several weeks. Um, so I'm leading that group to read through the Gospels again. And what was continually striking me is that though two millennia ago, Jesus was moving in amazing ways and and showing us um, the revelation of God the Son and all the wonderful things that Jesus brought. Um, It was the reminder that Jesus continues to move today, that he has not left us as orphans, but he has given us his Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, God continues to move in our lives to, to do miraculous work in us, to transform us, and to make us more like Jesus. And so I wanted us to really see not only that Jesus was, because sometimes we can approach the Gospels and the the Bible as a whole as a historical work that we look back in time to see what God has done. But there's such value in recognizing that what God has done reminds us of what God is doing and what He will do in days to come. And uh, this morning, the Bible reading for for me uh, was the beginning of Deuteronomy. And it's Moses recounting all that the Lord has done and what value is there in going back and seeing the mighty hand of God revealed and recognizing that God's hand is still at work today. Well, the same is true with the Gospels. We go back and we see Jesus's profound power in work in human lives, and we see his work still today. And so I'm just thankful for that. So yeah, that's where the title of the series came from. Jesus is for um, because he is the great I am. He still is, and he still is moving today. 
I'm really excited for this one. I, there are so many questions I have, but we'll, we'll start with the passage from Sunday, and then we'll go from there. <laughs> awesome. So we're reading from Luke 5, 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So Jeff, on Sunday you asked us, When did you realize who Jesus is? Especially now that I'm a parent, I've thought a lot about this question and, you know, finding the point when someone truly becomes a disciple of Jesus. Simply put, what level of understanding does a believer need for baptism into the body of Christ? That's a great question. And it's a question that in my line of work, I deal with uh, a lot. Um, One of the things that I think is very important for all of us to understand is that as we grow, our understanding of who God is grows. It's not that God changes. It's not that the biblical revelation is progressive. uh, But it is that as we grow, we are more able to understand uh, a more clear picture of who God is. And so there will never be a time this side of eternity or even perhaps even in eternity in which we can fully wrap our finite minds around an infinite personal God. There's just no way. Um, But there are some things that we want to be sure that people understand so that we know that they, they understand what they're doing when they commit their lives to Jesus. So number one, they need to understand that there is a God. So really... Frankly, the baptism questions that I ask are, are kind of the bare minimum, I think, of what it means to uh, be ready to give your life to Jesus. So do you believe that God made you and he loves you more than you could ever imagine? So what am I confessing there? I'm confessing that there is a God, that he is the creator, that he is my creator, and that he loves me. I mean, those are some important truths to know. And those are things that we teach the youngest kids. You know, we want them to know this is God's world. He made it. He made everything I see, and he made me. And not only did he make me, but he loves me very much. So the next thing, though, is do you believe that you sinned? that you broke God's law, and that your sin separated you from God. And that's vital. If you don't understand that you're a sinner separated from God, then it's impossible to understand your need for Jesus. So God is my creator. God loves me. But I have sinned against my God and thereby separated myself from him. The third question, do you believe that God loved you so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, that Jesus would live a life without sin and then die the death you deserve to die in your place upon the cross? 
And that's a very important understanding of the gospel, that that my sin had separated me from God, and it wasn't my work that brought me back to God. It was God and His great love for me that compelled Him to send His Son to do the work that would bring about the possibility of my salvation. I don't work myself into heaven. Jesus did the work for me. He lived a life without sin, and then he died a substitutionary death for me on the cross. And that his death on the cross is sufficient to cover all of my sin. Not some of it, but all of it. The next question, do you believe the third day he arose from the grave and he's alive today? The Bible is clear. If you do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, you cannot be a Christian. Because if Jesus Christ did not resurrect bodily from the grave then all of this is pointless. <laughs> let's, let's go do something different on Sunday morning. Let's go to brunch. Um, <laughs> if Jesus has not bodily, physically been raised from the dead, then we are, as the Apostle Paul would say, of all men most to be pitied. Okay, um, But he has raised. He has been raised from the dead, and he lives today. So we want to confess that we believe the resurrection. Uh, and then the fifth question, have you repented of your sin? turning away from sin and turning toward God, um, and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So in other words, what I'm asking is, have you crossed the starting line of faith? In other words, I don't just give intellectual assent to the truthfulness of the facts about the gospel, but I have turned away from my sin, surrendered my life to Christ, and personally received Jesus's atoning work for me by, by receiving Jesus as my Savior. And so that's kind of the bare minimum. Now, one of the questions that I was asked when I first came to First Baptist Church was, how young of a kid will you baptize? Well, that is less a, an issue of age and more an issue of understanding. And so every kid is different. And some kids at, at a relatively early age have a pretty firm understanding of the gospel. Now, I can say from experience, um, typically the youngest kid that I have baptized is around age six, because before that point, it's really difficult for kids to, to, to have that understanding. But it's, again, it's less about age and more about understanding. I mean, I've had people come to me in their 40s and say, you know, I need to be baptized because I went out and sinned last night, and I need that sin washed away from me. Well, that's not a reason to get baptized because that's not what the water does. The water doesn't cleanse you. Jesus's blood cleanses you. So, so there's a misunderstanding there. It is not, uh, it is not that I'm in, enduring some sort of religious action that washes me clean. No, the issue is the issue of faith. Where is my faith rooted? So when we look at Peter, we see in, in Luke chapter 5 this profound expression of his realizing that he is in the presence of God, okay? Um, but we also see in Peter a progressive understanding of who God is, of who Jesus is, and that is exemplified by the decisions that he makes. Because sometimes Peter, even as he grows in his understanding of who God is, says some things and does some things that are not consistent with his confession, and so he is continually growing in his understanding of who Jesus is and what that means in his life. And I just want to encourage our listeners, we are all continually growing in who Jesus is and what that means for our lives. So, yes, when I was 12 years old, 
I got down on my knees beside my bed and, and confessed, Jesus, I believe this is who you are. I believe this is what you did for me. I believe you've been raised from the dead and you're alive today. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I trust you and I will follow you. I have not been perfect since age 12. <laughs> I went through my adolescence. At age 17, I had this profound moment of kind of rededicating my life to Christ because I had stepped away. He hadn't stepped away from me, but I had kind of stepped away from trusting and following him actively. And so I came back. But, but the more that we grow, I mean, even today at age 42, I'm reading the Word every day, and God's showing me more and more of who He is. And, and frankly, uh, Psalm 139 says, Search me, O Lord. You know, show me the offensive way in me. He continues to do that. So I'm learning not only more of who God is, I'm learning more of who I am and learning more how very deeply I need God's grace through Jesus Christ in my life. And so my relationship with God is always growing. And it's not that, that you know, oh, I wasn't saved when I was 12. It's not that I wasn't saved when I was 17. Uh, but it's that my relationship with God is not stagnant, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so anybody who's listening, you know, you may be tempted to say, well, um, I understand God more fully today than I did at some point in the past. Well, you should understand God more fully today than you did at some point in the past, and you should understand Him more fully tomorrow than you did today. I mean, this idea is that we are always growing in Christ as the Holy Spirit works in me, as the Holy Word of God uh, exposes and reveals God to me. Um, I should always be growing in my understanding. Yeah, my dad and I have had discussions just in the language that you were just talking about, just like, well, you know, I was baptized, but at that point, man, I didn't really know what was going on, you know, like in the sense that you'd grow so much in the Christian walk and, you know, years pass and you just think back and on what you did know and what you didn't know. And you look back and you realize how much God teaches you in the intervening years and how much you grow. But that doesn't mean that the moment that you decide to put your life in Christ is less than where you are or that anything like that. It is a progression. It is a growth journey like you're talking about. Well, and I tell parents all the time, I mean, with my own children, right? I, I, I'm watching them grow in their understanding of who God is and, and how that plays out in their lives. And so don't expect your kids to be perfect hmm. after they place faith in Christ, after they profess that faith by way of biblical baptism. Um, don't expect them to be perfect because you're not I mean, you're still growing, yeah. and so your job, parent, is to be the chief discipler in your child's life and to get them to church, but also to pray with them at home and look to God's Word together with them at home and um, and help them. I mean, you're coaching them spiritually, and, and I'm in the thick of it right now. So every phase of life has an opportunity for me to coach my children and what it means to trust and follow Jesus. Part of that is just praying with them several times every day. Uh, this morning as I took my little girl to school, we did the same thing we do every day. We get to a certain point in the drop-off line, and we pray. And we pray for certain things in her life. And, and we believe that because Christ is in her and she is in her school, that her school ought to be better. Hmm. And so that's part of what we pray for. Let that happen. We ask for God to protect her. We ask for God to, to help her to be kind and respectful to everyone, no matter who they are, to be the leader that God has made her to be. So, I mean, it's a continual process. And then when, when issues arise... 
it's an opportunity for my wife and for myself to apply the teachings of the Word to those particular issues as they arise. And that's, that's growth. I mean, you know, when I go work out, I have a coach, and my coach tweaks what I'm doing. You know, do this a little differently. Um, your range of motion needs to be a little different so that you get maximal impact for what you're doing. And, and the journey of discipleship is the same thing. I'm coaching those people that God has entrusted to my care as they live out their life, as they become more like Jesus. So it's a process. It is absolutely a process. Uh, salvation is both something that happens in a moment as we turn to Christ in repentance and faith and we're justified, we're adopted by God's grace into his family, um, and we are regenerated, we, are, we experience the new birth. But then sanctification or becoming holy is a continual process throughout the rest of our lives all the way up until we reach the point of glorification, which happens when our life on this earth comes to an end, either by death or Christ's return. So um, it's a process, and be encouraged in the process. But Peter had a process too, and we get to see Peter's process played out uh, throughout Scripture. Absolutely. I'm really glad that we get to see Peter grow throughout these stories. And actually, on that point, I did have a question that I wanted to ask you. So here... In Luke 5, the passage that we just read, he has this revelation about Jesus, but then he has another one later, and I, I'd like to know your thought on what the what the growth is between these points, or even the trajectory of the growth, something like that. So in Luke 9 and in parallel passages in Matthew and Mark, uh, Jesus asks his disciples who people say that he is, and then he asks who they say he is. So Peter says, the Christ of God. Hmm. Why is this confession profound. Isn't that something they already knew by this point? Well, we know from John's gospel that when Andrew went and found Simon, he said, we have found the Messiah. Yeah. Well, Messiah is Hebrew uh, for the same thing as Christ in Greek. So so there's this sense in which they, they, they seem to understand. When Peter confesses Christ, um, in Matthew's gospel, he tells us that they are in Caesarea Philippi, which is a very interesting city. Uh, it had previously been called Peneus, and it had been a center of worship, uh, first of Baal, and you read the Old Testament, and Baal or Baal worship is the is the bane of, of Israel's existence. They keep turning to the Baals. It's the worst. And so uh, Caesarea Philippi had been a center for the worship of Baal. Uh, then it had been become a center of worship for the Greek god Pan. So it was called Paneus. That was the name of the city. Then it was renamed by Philip the Tetrarch as Caesarea Philippi in honor one of himself. It's always good to name a city after yourself if you're in power, right? Mm -hmm. um, but also after Caesar Augustus, because it's also good to kiss up to the big leader uh, if you can. So Caesarea Philippi, had become, at this time, uh, a center for the worship of Caesar. I mean, they, they would confess Caesar is Lord, and they would burn incense. They believed Caesar was a god. So um, this was a city that was known for the worship of false gods. And in this city, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And so they, they say, some say Elijah, some say one of, the, one of the prophets, some say John the Baptist. Um, and all of those um, all of those statements of who Jesus might be are consistent with Old Testament prophecy insofar as um, you know the Bible tells us that Elijah would come to, to precede the Messiah um, that Moses had said that there would be a prophet raised up like him and you would do well to listen to him um, so so the answers that 
Peter gives about who others say Jesus is are significant in that people are close, but they're not there, right? Then Jesus fixes his gaze upon his disciples and asks the question upon which eternity hinges for all of us. What about you? Who do you say I am? And again, that is the most vital question for any person in the history of the world to answer because heaven or hell hinges on how we answer that question. Peter, as the spokesperson for the disciples, says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And so just what floods to my mind as you say those words is all the different Messianic prophecies, particularly Psalm 2, you know, kiss yeah. the Son. Um, and, uh, and Peter is here confessing on behalf of the disciples, we believe that you are the Messiah. We believe that you are the Christ. In other words, when Andrew first found Simon, he said, could it be that we found the Messiah? <laughs> Now we're saying, we believe we have found the Messiah. It wasn't that once they made that confession that their faith was lived out perfectly from that point on. John the Baptist believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and then when he was in prison, he sent word to Jesus saying, wait, are, are you the Messiah, or, or should we be looking for somebody else? You know, this is the one who's coming in the spirit and power of Elijah, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy. To, to, to This is the one who worshiped Jesus in utero. The, he, he, he flipped in his mother's womb, you know? Um, and when he's suffering and struggling, he is expressing, wait a minute, uh, just, just to be sure. <laughs> I'm not saying I don't believe, but could you clarify? And I think that's encouraging to all of us. So even Peter, after he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, we know from Matthew's gospel <laughs> that just moments later, he's going to be on the biggest emotional roller coaster of his life because Jesus is then going to start talking about, yeah, the Son of Man's going to be delivered over in the hands of sinful man. And he talked about the, the impending cross. And Peter, with his chest puffed out, um, <laughs> says, essentially, that will never happen on my watch, not as long as I'm around, Jesus. Yeah. And then Jesus looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan, for you have in mind not the things of God, but the things of man. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, you go from this, this spiritual mountaintop to Jesus just called me Satan. <laughs> you know, he's, 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 he's equating me with the great adversary. Um so again, it's a process. It's a process. And, and, and the joy of seeing Peter's journey uh, is so encouraging because, man, I can identify with him. There, there are moments where I'm on a mountaintop and, and it's like, I will never come off of this mountaintop until just a few minutes later when something doesn't go the way I want it to or, or some unexpected issue arises. And now all of a sudden I'm questioning God, you know, <laughs> all those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but that's such a key moment. Well, that takes us into today's listener question. Listeners, if you have a question, you can just go to the link in the show notes, or you can comment on the post below. So, Jeff, why does God sometimes use plural pronouns in Genesis? For instance, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So that's a great question from a very thoughtful listener um, and a very observant listener. So I can recall being in college and being in a religion class um, when my... Uh, frankly, unbelieving professor was giving us the answer to this question. And that answer was that this is the royal we. Like when a king or a queen might speak, they don't speak saying I, they say we think this. Um, 
I would disagree with that interpretation. I think that this is an early reference to the fact that God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some theologians would say that that God is here speaking about the heavenly court. So we think about the angelic realm that is there around the throne room of heaven. But the Bible doesn't say that we have been created in the image of angels. No, we have been created in the image of God. So when God says, let us make man in our image, to me, it's pretty clear, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you know, um, that is that is um, God affirming, I believe, um, very early on in Scripture, uh, His reality as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for all of these answers. This is very helpful to myself and to our listeners. Do you mind praying us out? I would love to. Let's pray. Lord, we do confess that you are God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You are Almighty God. And we are so thankful that you have so loved us that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We're thankful that as we look back on all the ways in which you have moved throughout the course of human history, we can be encouraged to know that you are moving still today. And so, Lord, we know that you will travel with us through this day, that you will encourage us, strengthen us, that you will convict us of sin and call us to continually repent and believe that we might grow to become more like Jesus through every moment. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful, for, Lord, we know you are always faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editor is Chad Walden.